everyone, and welcome to episode 363 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. A little bit sadder podcast than normal. It is, indeed. Um, indeed it I, is. I will let you tell people what we're going to do. It was your idea, and I think it's a very, very good one. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not well. putting the spot, but you suggested <laughs> yesterday, and I thought it was a really good idea. So we can... Just kind of get right into, like, what we're actually going to do. Okay. Well, as I'm sure many of you know, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably bookish people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So, as you may know, um, Toni Morrison died this week, which is very, very sad. Um, and I, for those, which you, so you may know that. What you may not know is she's actually from the Cleveland area. She came, um, she was born in Lorain, Ohio, which is not too far from here. And um, so I thought it might be a good idea just to kind of talk about Joni Morrison. Yeah. Um, you, know, you mentioned Lorraine. That's actually that's where I grew up, um, which I know I've mentioned a few times uh, on the podcast. And when I grew up there, it was a very culturally diverse uh, city. In fact, it, the, the Lorraine tag is the international city, which makes me laugh a little bit. But there's, um, it's right on the lake, and there, there was a steel factory there for a while, which is why a lot of immigrants came there. But when Tony grew up there, it was a predominantly white uh, area, and um, then she ended up going to Howard University. And so I, she's, she talked a lot about how that kind of like opened her eyes, realizing how much racism was integrated into her younger life. She just never really realized it when she was growing up being surrounded by so many Caucasian people. And then when she went to Howard University, which is a traditionally African-American college, she sort of recognized it. So, yeah, I I agree. Even if she hadn't been from my hometown, I think we would be probably talking about it today. But, it, you know, being from Northeast Ohio also has that kind of, um, you know, very close to heart type of a thing. So I didn't, we didn't really talk about before we started recording like, what we actually wanted to talk about. Nope, making this up as we go along. Um, yeah, but I mean, I have, I have lots of thoughts on what she meant. Um, but did you do you have like a, a favorite Toni Morrison book, or I will kind of let you sort of go wherever you want to go with it to start. Um, I I think the the first Toni Morrison book I ever read was The Bluest Eye, which mm-hmm. is just so good. Yeah, it, <clears throat> she. Um, that's actually that was her first book she ever wrote, and whoever had published mm-hmm. and um i believe she was 40 years old she's 39 39 when she first was published was yeah i had a thing on twitter where uh she she published her first book at 39 and then she went on to become a um pulitzer prize winning author and you know titan of american literature so let that yeah it it gives say, me i mean that says a lot yeah yeah it gives me comfort as a 33 year old trying to write his first book and like oh okay well no aspirations of being like Toni Morrison. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the flip no, side. Yeah, maybe. There's, no, there's no guarantee you're going to be Toni Morrison <laughs> yeah. like level, but just be aware that yeah. if you have not published yet and you are in your late 30s, that is okay. Yeah, in fact, if we're being honest, I think it's substantially more likely that none of us will be Toni Morrison. Correct. Um, but no, yeah, the bluest eye it deals. I she talked a lot about when she released that. And talking about how, like I said, like she didn't really realize what was surrounding her and like her upbringing until she was outside of it. And then, you know, she kind of realized there wasn't any 
there were no there was never any books about like the really pure horrible things that racism can do to a young african-american woman and trying to like cope with how society views you and the thing i i really loved about it and it's actually one of the reasons that i know it's been challenged and uh you know put on the like banned books list by so many different places is because it's you know it's about a young female but there's so many adult themes in it and you know there's rape and there's death and there's all sorts of stuff in it and but it's also a very important book for you know younger people to to read um were there like things about the book that you like remember or take away or like things that stood out for you Yes, this is the one book that um, I think it speaks a lot to, and the fact that it was her first just sort of um, is awe-inspiring. The way she writes um, these really, really horrific scenes, and yet even in them, there is a skill to the craft of her writing. Um, You know, as you mentioned, there's, you know, rape that happens in it, and it's just just the way she writes and describes that scene is just f- on a skill level as a writer is just incredible and e so she doesn't shy away from these topics but she does it in a way where you're just like okay she's a really good writer <laughs> regardless of what she's writing about. i mean would like so that that says a lot that she doesn't she's not afraid to just like go at it with these um these topics and yeah so she also does this thing um if people have never read it that the chapter titles are like fragments of the those, like the dick and jane books mm-hmm. that um were kind of like the not grammar books i'm trying to like um just like the little kids books yeah, yeah. like the like the, the like early they, readers type thank you, early readers as i was trying to figure out um and basically like these dick and jane books really talk about like the importance of like a nuclear family and like it's a very traditional nuclear family and she kind of like uses um i saw her, you know an article about how or like a research article about the bullet hour it talks about how like she uses those like fragments to kind of like mirror to show like okay that is not right what you know a lot of people face in their day-to-day and especially um you know african-american people growing up especially in the time when she did where there was so much racism and everything like it was not that was not what a family looked like to her and it just yeah, that book, again, being her first novel is insane. Yeah, I was, I was, there was an interview that was floating around where uh, a white, okay, so yep, <laughs> Adam right, is yeah. nodding, Adam is nodding, where this, like, white woman, you know, is interviewing Toni Morrison and legit asked Toni Morrison why she doesn't feature more white people in her books, or, like, will she ever do that? And Toni just flat out is like, you don't know how racist that that question is because you would never ask a white author when are you going to be centering black people but you ask a black person when are you going to be centering white people because white people like to be centered and it makes them uncomfortable when they're not which speaks like volumes to why i think a lot of her books get challenged i mean if she told like if a white author told these same stories i don't know if they would have the same level of people being against them yeah no you're absolutely right i'm glad you brought up that um that interview that was making the rounds again um, yesterday, and I, I, I've seen it like a, a bunch of times. Every I feel like every like couple of years, 
that just like would pop up and like people would remind everyone like look at what Toni Morrison how eloquently she responds yeah look what white people do (laughs) yeah and um and she said like she even went on after that interview to talk about that even more where she um you know she basically said like you can say that what I write is regional but like you would never like you said you would never ask a Russian writer who's writing about Russian experiences in Russian for Russian people why aren't you putting more Americans in there? And she um, was like, she basically said, she's like, I would say that Faulkner basically wrote just like regional books and yep. those regional books were globally read. And and I think that's, that was basically her, her point, like for most of her life. She was like, she was writing African-American stories with African-American characters of four African-American readers. And I think it just speaks volumes like to what you said about how she can write that, you know, she didn't just mean the world to African-American, you know, readers. She, you know, were two Caucasian people talking about how important her prose was, you know, to us and to everyone. And, like, I think that was, like, kind of her point the whole time was, like, she wasn't writing books that white people should not read or shouldn't be able to relate to, but her point was, like, you should be able to read these books about people who don't look like you. But I also think it's a lot of these books aren't for you. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like she probably doesn't care I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, they the books weren't for people like us. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we read them is great, but that wasn't her intention. Yeah. She was writing these books for black people. Well, yeah, I mean, like, thinking about Beloved, which is another one of her, like, wildly famous. And I think for Beloved, she won a, I want to say, a Pulitzer or a National Book Award. She won, like, one of the major awards for it. I mean, it, it's at its core, like, it's about... She basically found this story when she was working at Penguin Random House. She was an editor for Penguin Random House, which is awesome. And she used that platform to, you know, bring to light a lot of African-American authors who might not have had attention. But beloved, while she was doing this editing, she found this story about this former slave who had tried to murder her children. And when they, like, discovered her, they assumed she was crazy. And, like, they found her to be, like, she was of sound mind. And she, you know, there was nothing, like mentally wrong with her other than the fact that like she thought she, you know she was worried about going back into slavery and in her mind she was like I would rather have my kids not be alive than to have to go through what I went through as a slave and like you said that's not a story that any white person in America could relate to even having like generations of family going back like that's just that's not an experience we ever had whereas Toni Morrison's one of her grandparents was a slave like it's which is insane to think about it in 2019 that that's still around but i think you're right like she wasn't writing books for us she was not writing books for us (laughs) i can guarantee it she was not writing books for us right but at the same time it is they're still like so powerful and impactful no agreed yes but yeah but i think we have to acknowledge they were not written for white people oh 100 yeah no i completely But I do think, I mean, yeah, like, so she'd worked at Penguin Random House and um, as an editor and was reading these books. And I think um, she, you know, like, saw it as an opportunity that there are books. I mean, she, that quote, like, if you want a book, I'm going to butcher it off the top of my head right now. But <laughs> if you want her, <laughs> basically write the book you want to read. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, if like apologies, if, I do not have that no, exact okay. quote pulled up in front of me. I literally like quote tweeted it myself yesterday, and I would get it wrong too. It is it something about like if there's a book you want to read and you're not seeing in the world, go write it. And um, there's the other one that I think you you might have 
quote you would have shared yesterday about like if you want to fly you have to get rid of the shit that's weighing you down yes and, and like I think she used her writing to do that a lot where she would write out all of the things that you know were maybe holding down like her spirit and her emotions and then would use that to become she actually I saw the um there was this I had this conversation with Oprah. She was very good friends with Oprah. Um, she's one of my favorite. I just anyone who's like really good friends with Oprah, this man, it's like right. It's like having Oprah call you up and talk to you. But um, you know, Oprah was hugely inspired by Toni Morrison, and one of the things that she told Oprah was, "I when I write, one of the reasons that I do it is because that's a world that I create, and no one can tell me anything about my characters. They're my characters. I've created them." And then, and she said, she was like, I think everyone needs that. And she's like, and it doesn't have to be writing. Like yours could be gardening where, you know, those plants are yours and you get to decide where they go or it could be cooking or um, it could be, she said, it could be computer programming, which I thought was pretty funny because it was in like the early 90s. I think yeah. She talked about it with Oprah. But, um, and I think like a really kind of wonderful irony is like her books were that for so many people. Like they were that space where they didn't have to be told what to think and and a lot of african-american readers like they were able to see themselves and their histories in these books agreed yeah Yeah. um she also talked a lot about um the various kinds of love and in fact one of her last books was titled love um and talked about like how she didn't realize it at the time but she like looking back at her own works she was thinking through like the various kinds of love that family members and different types of families go through. Like she was saying how, um, you know, it, depending on your situation, like she said, her grandparents were just, they, their type of love was staying alive and surviving for her parents so that they could have a home that existed. And then her parents for her, they were, you know, their love was you know, giving them, you know, working as hard as they could to save up money to have Tony have a better life if she wanted to go to college and things like that. And then, she talked about her children, like her type of quote unquote love was like giving them the freedom to make their own decisions. And she has these two sons who one of them actually wrote children's books with her. And like, just like she thinks like she's looking at all of her different books and all like they, she thinks they all represent like different types of how people love each other. And so, yeah, she's an awesome lady. I mean, so we didn't really have a plan for this. So we did not have a plan for this. Yeah. I just felt we should acknowledge. Absolutely. I mean, are there, like, have some of her other books, like, have you read some of her other books? I mean, I know there's, there's some. Um, them, I have read Beloved, um, which was the one that did, yeah, that was the one that won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, and just every, they're just so good. And she gave, you know, voice to a community that didn't have a lot of people writing about them. Um, and just did a lot of good work in that way yeah and and she talked about how she um she obviously had i mean she was a prolific writer in the sense that she had you know i think there's 10 novels um i mean it was 10 novels over 40 plus years of writing though and, and she talked a lot about how she said like i'm trying in her later parts of her life she's like i'm trying not to write as much i'm trying to write less but have it mean more and she just she was always a person who seemed very um I don't want to like project and say she was comfortable in her own skin but she always seemed like an author who she knew the people that she was trying to represent and she knew the people that she could make a difference for and she seemed 
perfectly all at all times like perfectly capable of being the one who is like I'm Toni Morrison I will right. be the voice that we all yeah. need so something else that she did that I really love is um, to talk about she a lot of her books we said we dealt with they dealt with um, the experience of slavery and, and racism and being able to you know she created these stories for you know her generation and generations after of African-American readers that, you know, were able to better understand some of the stories that she was telling and, and the places that they came from. And then she kind of did something similar with the children's literature that, that she wrote with her son, Slade Morrison, where she, they basically rewrote like all the fables, um, but they did it in a way that they made it more modern and um, relatable to kind of this day and age. And like, so they made like, a lot of the stories like fun and up to date with like with the way that people looked and the way they dressed and the way they spoke, and still kept kind of the same fables and and lessons in there. Like there's the the fable about like a snake who is poisonous and like basically there's I can't remember the whole thing, but it's basically like it's, he's like it's my nature to bite you, you know. Right. And they kind of redid that, and it was kind of this, like, it's using those same stories where it's like. Are you going to blame me for the way that I am? Like, this is my nature to do these types of things. But, um, I mean, she literally wrote, like, five different collections of these. And, again, I think that was something that she was always able to do is, you know, either whether it was her own works where she was creating these gargantuan stories and making them relatable and even the children's books, like, making them so you could understand them and... Right. She wrote a lot of nonfiction, too, which mm-hmm. is also important. She has a new, actually just this year, came out with a um, new collection of essays called The Source of Self-Regard, Essays, Speeches, and Meditations. So, yeah, she wrote um, a lot of nonfiction pieces as well on stuff related to race and gender and power and, and all of that. Yeah, she had a lot of a lot of thoughts, and she shared them on like, like politics and feminism and all sorts of stuff. Um, she also, I didn't even know this until I started looking up stuff. Uh, she wrote the libretto for a uh, an opera. Did you know this? I did not know that. Okay, so it's called Margaret Garner, and it's an opera that is was two acts, and it kind of loosely follows the actual events of Margaret Garner, and it... Um, I think it has a lot to do. Yeah, it's basically Margaret Garner's story was the inspiration behind Beloved. So it's almost oh, like an opera okay. version of Beloved. Um, yeah, and it's it's one of the very few operas written about the African-American experience. Um, and then they it's been related to George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess, um, which is very, very famous as well. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that she actually kind of took her work and was able to help turn into another sort of version. So, um, you know, I was learned something new today. About, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So those are just our, uh, just a few of our thoughts. There will be other people who will definitely have much more eloquent thoughts about Toni Morrison, but being that she played such a pivotal role in, you know, literature of the last, you know, God, the, you know, century really. You know, yeah. There's no... There will never be another Toni Morrison, but um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of share our thoughts really briefly. Um, yeah, if you haven't ever read any of her stuff, Blue Sky is a great place to start. Um, Song of Solomon, Beloved, love really any of her stuff, but Blue Sky is probably a, a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. And 
and you can kind of see where she goes from there with her career but um yeah anything else that you you had any other thoughts no okay all right well um, i hope you guys enjoyed this a little bit shorter uh, a little bit more somber episode of the professional book nerds podcast readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace professional book nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program to learn about other evergreen podcasts visit evergreenpodcasts.com our podcast is produced recorded and edited by adam sokol and jill grunewald and presented by rakuten overdrive for more information visit professionalbooknerds.com Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.